the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, with me as always, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. I am doing okay. Just okay? Just okay. It's very rainy. I'm very sore. Well, you have the blessings of the Blood God and all of the RPGs to keep you happy. That's true. I did finish Secret of Mana, so... Oh, congratulations. Uh, How was the ending? Depressing, but I think we're going to get into that a little bit today. I'm surprised that you went all the way through that uh, that remake. I I enjoyed it more than I, I thought I would at the beginning. It's just I I like to play Secret of Mana in all its in its, all its forms. Like that's one thing, but uh, I don't know. I, I started to appreciate it a little bit more as I as I went on. I would say if you want to play Secret of Mana for the first time, yes, you should still get an SNES classic. But it's very much like Final Fantasy IV on the DS, where if you like the original game, if you like the original experience. Give it a try, just for that extra spice of variety. We've been chastised by the disciples of the Blood God, by the way, Nadia. Oh, have we? <laughs> yeah, they want us to talk about Radiant Historia, the remake. Right, I haven't gotten around to that. Yeah, it's out now. You should put it in your 3DS and start playing it. Yeah, I, I, I think I should, now that I'm done with Mana. And uh, yeah. we're kind of getting down to the end with Cosmic Star Heroine. We've also had people asking about uh, the Final Fantasy 15 mobile game yeah uh, i i saw a couple of questions about that uh there's also another mobile game in final fantasy some sort of dissidia game that i downloaded and i've been meaning to play it was supposed to be like kind of funny and cute Mm. oh so we should talk about that next week yeah that's a good idea obviously in the short term the biggest news in the rpg space is (laughs) kingdom come deliverance still which has sold well, uh, north of a million copies yeah, at this point. Now. Within uh, less than two weeks, I believe. I was wondering, what do you make of Kingdom Come's success? Uh, I guess given that it's a, a very niche RPG in a very uh, kind of reserved space. Like I think you were saying on Slack the other day that there just aren't that many medieval sort of RPGs, even outside of Skyrim, even the more fantasy, like really high fantasy stuff. So uh, they found a niche and they filled it a million copies is a lot though that is a lot of i have to say i was not expecting a million copies like when they hit uh five i i'm like oh that's pretty good that's probably where they're plateau but uh nope they just kept on going i think it's for a few reasons first i think the relative notoriety conferred by well by its creator yeah basically feuding with a number of journalists and ex-journalists um i saw him get into it with arthur Guise about uh, the che- the history of the Czech Republic and the, right. the Bohemia and all that stuff, about like the role of women and all that. I-, I think that has conferred upon the game a certain degree of notoriety that has kept it in the public space. Plus, I think that um, this kind of success can be exponential as more people play it and mm-hmm. talk it up, more people are going to buy it. Yeah, of course. That's, uh, that's pretty typical for uh, indie games. It's also received kind of a front and center promotion on Steam. Oh, that'll do it too, yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely front and center promotion on Steam. Uh, There aren't a ton of games right now to play, so it's been able to, uh, because Monster Hunter has definitely faded away at this point. Yeah. Uh, So it's 
been a lot, it's been in the news a lot because it's generating traffic. And finally, like it, if you don't know anything about it, it just looks cool because Mm -hmm. it's a very easy sell to say like, oh yeah, medieval Skyrim, that's a lot more realistic. And to somebody who's just, you know, maybe played Skyrim and really enjoyed it, that's immediately like, that's an immediate hook of being, being able to say, oh realism yeah yeah no skyrim is really fake (laughs) i I, I want something i I want to experience history and be a knight or something right right which i guess the game lets you do that but my whole thing with see i'm not a tremendous fan of high fantasy like very high fantasy uh unless you actually give me though those dragons and those elves and stuff like that so uh otherwise it's like oh it was a time period when people like crafting holes and Everyone, everything was great, super. That's all I really know about medieval history. Well, it's a, well, it's a good opportunity to learn about medieval history from a certain perspective, um, a certain angle. But uh, I, I, I think that having played it, um, spent some time with it, it's definitely written from a history nerd's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mentioned last week that I read like several volumes of Winston Churchill's freaking World War II history. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of a nerd for history. And I think it can get really easy to get caught up in the big events and the big, uh, all the trivia and all of the details, right? And, uh, right? and you can definitely see, you can definitely see that aspect in this game. Um, they are very concerned about all of the little details about what was happening in the political field at this time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know, like, do you think that this will trigger a new wave of medieval type RPGs that are set in actual history? uh, I can't see a situation where it doesn't happen because, well, generally I would say like people always want to try to emulate that success, but then you have like, I don't know. Has anyone really tried to emulate Stardew Valley since it came out? Like that was a, huge deal it still is a very big deal but i haven't really seen too many like indie games uh in that same mold uh barring of course chucklefish's own endeavors which are coming out soon i think that a big publisher could potentially have a lot of success coming out and saying we're making a medieval rpg uh, we are, it's going to be taking place during the War of the Roses, which was kind of a real life Game of Thrones situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will be a, I don't know, a knight or something. <laughs> of uh, you can play as a knight or you can play like a bunch of different roles. And by the way, like we have done a bunch of research and you will also be able to play as women in this somehow. <laughs> we have done a bunch um, of research. Like women will play a role in this. Yeah. Uh, because we've been doing all this research into uh, this element of it. Right. And as you know, women play a large role in Game of Thrones, like backstabbing and everything. And that is something that we want to incorporate yeah. into what you could consider the real life Game of Thrones, the intrigue of the court. Well, it's interesting because uh, we were talking on the uh, flagship podcast about how uh, Assassin's Creed uh, Origins has the uh, the history tour which is mm-hmm. actually apparently really well-researched and really interesting. So it's not as if games are uh, adverse to giving us a history lesson. So, uh, yeah, I think you may be onto something when you say if it comes from anyone, it might be a AAA publisher. Yeah, I, I think that 
when it comes to Stardew Valley, the reason that we haven't seen anybody kind of emulate it is because anybody who makes a farming simulator like Stardew Valley is just going to be like, oh, so it's another Stardew Valley. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, there's no way it can be as good as Stardew Valley. I've already got Stardew Valley. That's true. Whereas Kingdom Come is the definition of a game that I think that can be taken from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you agree with the creator, there is a substantial p- number of people who simply will not play Kingdom Come because they think it's racist or sexist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly a that's certainly an audience that can be addressed. Right. And also, uh, it's made by an indie developer with like, I think they have like 100 people on their staff. Uh, and the game, you know, it looks like it. it looks like an indie game. Like people are like, oh, this game's so gorgeous. I mean, yes. on console, though, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely a step down from your typical open world RPGs. Like the characters are kind of Muppet like in the way that they move. Like they like they nod yeah, a little too fast. <laughs> their mouths move a little bit funny. Like uh, their, their, their body motions are a little bit weird, but this to be expected, I guess. When you kill somebody, they ragdoll down like in a way that's even kind of more natural, unnatural than say Skyrim. (laughs) I would go as far as to say Skyrim looks better uh, than Kingdom Come and Skyrim. Even though Skyrim was remastered, it's also like a seven-year-old game at this point. So I think that somebody can definitely step into the breach and go, oh yeah, like this, this is like Kingdom Come and it's very historically accurate and it's set during the War of the Roses or something or something else. And we are kind of going all out with this game. And we've learned a lot of lessons. Uh, we've learned a lot of what lessons from what Kingdom Come had to offer. It's bigger and more polished. And it has a like greater per- number of perspectives. And we've incorporated things like court intrigue. And uh, come buy our game. I-, I would play that game. Uh I'm not as much of a history buff as you, but uh, mm. it really depends. Like, I would, if I had the time, I would absolutely get into, like, like I was saying, the Assassin's Creed Egyptian thing, even though I didn't think I was interested at first, but Katie made it sound really interesting. So, yeah, if someone comes by with uh, a game that uh, is historically accurate and it uh, looks like it could be an interesting teacher, then sure, by all means, uh, I'll bite. Yeah, I think Kingdom Come shows what an untapped market history is, weirdly. Yeah. Uh, because... Yeah, we've had history shooters. Like, we've had your World War II shooters and World War I shooters over right. the years. We've had um, lots of strategy games hitting all different portions of history. But they've always been kind of like almost their own genre. The historical strategy game is a genre. Yeah, like <laughs> the historical shooters always hit the same angles. So to have another genre like the RPG genre suddenly tackling history and not only just history, but different parts of history that we haven't seen in the past right. is pretty neat. Uh, I think it'd be cool if there were an RPG that was set like during the Napoleonic era, to be perfectly honest. Um, or an RPG that was set in the period of the original Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I would be interested to see if you could make an RPG set during the Crusades mm. that... I, th- I think um, one of the th- issues that I have with Kingdom Come is that it's very Eurocentric and it's very from like one perspective. Right. Um, it would be interesting to see if you could accomplish an RPG 
that managed to tell the story of the Crusades from both a European perspective, but also from the perspective of like the Caliphate and like um, uh, like the Muslims and mm-hmm. everything. Because I mean, there's so much interesting stuff to mine there, right? There really is. Um, yeah, tons of interesting material. I think a lot of developers would be nervous to go near that because there's always potential to be decried for being racist or insensitive in your approach and everything. But no, I I really think that it's an interesting opportunity, especially in the current political environment where people are going on about clash of civilizations and that kind of thing. Um, And yeah, no, there, there's a GDC session that I want to attend. That's like, how can we get more Muslim representation or not how can we get more, but like Muslim representation in video games? Right, like, what does right. that mean? What does that look like? And I don't know how exactly you could tell a story from both perspectives um, or not even take it from both perspectives, but have a lens that's wide enough. Right. Yeah. That really, it can incorporate many different angles. You would really need um, a lot. You would need a pretty diverse development team, uh, not just mm-hmm. development, but also a lot of consultators, a lot of uh, a lot of people who could be there to historians uh, who can tell you, okay, here's what happened. Okay, no, here's an opposing opinion. Here's what actually happened. You know, come somewhere in the middle, whatever it takes. Uh, but games are generally. Yeah, uh, until now, they've been kind of bad about tackling social issues, like with metaphors like elves and uh, and whatnot. Mm. So they are, I think developers are a little bit scared to, to tackle things head on. Yeah, because, I mean, but it'll get you in the news, and that's what happened with Kingdom Come, yeah, right? Absolutely, Where yeah. uh, that game was controversial from the off, and plenty of people swore it off, but... Uh, plenty of other people were like, hell yeah, I'm going to play this game. Yeah. <laughs> And, hundred, and a million copies later, I mean, that's not exactly jump change. I mean, when you got Waypoint saying, we're not going to cover this game, that's that's notoriety right that's, there. Uh, People are going a, to want to find out why. That's the Streisand effect right there in action. Yeah, but, yeah, I now I want an RPG set during the Ro- War of the Roses. I, I don't know about the Crusades necessarily. I mean, that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually much more interested in a War of the Roses a story that tackled the real history there and puts you in that environment because that's going to be as close to a Game of Thrones yeah. RPG that's not a tacky licensed RPG that you're possibly going to find, I think. All right. So interesting. So I don't know what's going to come of Kingdom Come. I don't know if it's going to have any consequences whatsoever, but it did tap into a thirst for greater not realism mm-hmm. but a sense of being there right being being in the world right right yeah hmm. yeah anyway uh, kingdom come uh, i don't really want to talk about it anymore because <laughs> i personally find it, it <laughs> I, I personally find it a little boring mm-hmm. but it's it's impact can't be ignored no i can't and i actually really like your idea of a napoleon uh era RPG. I studied the French Revolution a little bit in in, in high school. Uh, I forgot nearly everything, but I remember it being very interesting at the time. I love Napoleonic, uh, the Napoleonic Wars. I, I find that era so interesting. <laughs> I'm actually reading um, Master and Commander, uh, the original book by uh, Patrick O'Brien, which is so freaking dense with terminology from that era mm-hmm. and sailing jargon, but it really puts you in the moment of that particular period. Right. And 
uh, all of their talk about politics actually makes sense because they, the main characters are like a learned scholar, doctor, and a captain who yeah, has very strong opinions on things. Yeah, they're, they're going to have very strong opinions on things. That's like a joke. Three of them walk into a bar and <laughs> have a conversation. The problem, I think, is a lot of game developers are in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ubisoft's not, but as a consequence, like Americans don't really know much of anything about the Napoleonic Wars. They just know that Napoleon was a short guy, ostensibly, who was French and kind of silly. And they don't really think of him as both the greatest tactical genius in your probably European history uh, and all of the controversy of like, he was a dictator, but he did yeah. all of these things for France, et cetera, et cetera. Like the very complicated place that he holds in French history. But uh, uh, do Americans not study the French Revolution? I, I told you, I just studied it in, in, no. in high school. You guys don't... Americans don't know anything about the French Revolution. Well, then again, I did have an American friend, like, he was amazed when I told him, yes, Canada was in the Great War and the Second World War. He was like, wow, really? And I'm like, yeah, we got yeah. massacred in the in the Great War, and we were first in the, the Second World War because... We were we were Britain essentially. We supported them. So, not only was Canada in the World War Two, they were they kicked ass. Yeah, like all of the <laughs> all of the soldiers from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, India, they were notably ferocious fighters. Yeah, and Commonwealth uh, Americans have such a freaking narrow vision of history that I actually find extremely annoying. And one of my favorite things to do is to always go from a zillion different perspectives. So mm-hmm. when somebody gets extremely narrow in their interpretation of history, I get a little bit offended. Well, that's, that, that should be the way it is, because history is extremely complicated. I know they say, oh, winners yeah. write history, but there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, anybody who says that they know what history, like, happened during history is full of it. I'm sorry, uh, mm-hmm. because... I mean, we're learning new things all the time. Oh, yeah. Even even about recent history. Like, stuff gets uncovered. You learn new things. You dig a little deeper and you go, oh, okay, so here are some... Or, so these are what the motivations were. Like, yeah. You hear the same story over and over again, but then you go, oh, well, that actually wasn't true at all. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the way history was written, it excluded certain people, it excluded certain themes because, oh... We don't want to write about how these people were actually gay, for example. Like, we don't want to write mm. how they're lovers. They were brothers, yes. My favorite recent historical tidbit, and I'll move on from this after this, is uh, William Henry Harrison. They always say that... Are you familiar with William Henry Harrison? Yeah, he died in 30 days, right? He died in 30 days, <laughs> yes, because he supposedly didn't wear a coat because he wanted to be seen as manly, caught pneumonia, and died. Good job. What people, don't actu- what people actually think happened was that there was sewage... In the White House grounds that affected that affected uh, the drinking water because okay. we did not really have a sewage system at that time. <laughs> and as a consequence, William Henry Harrison was drinking sewage water. Uh, that'll do you in. Caught pneumonia and died. Okay. Or yeah. something to that or something to that effect. So yeah, it, that was probably the actual reason, because there were a lot of people getting sick, horribly, horribly sick from uh, from that. You need clean water. It's just one of those things that are a good idea to have yeah. around. So stuff like William Henry Harrison catching a cold that became pneumonia, it's like apocryphal, and I love hearing stuff like that. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love being told that I was wrong. <laughs> and the, the real answer is actually a lot more interesting. I mean, a cold is mundane. Drinking sewage, yeah, no, that's a death. <laughs> 
So something that, so I don't really particularly care to talk about Kingdom Come that much more, but one thing I do want to talk about, Nadia, is uh, a little while ago, we did an RPG podcast episode about meaningful decisions in games. And it originally started with a discussion of quote-unquote good endings and bad endings, and that became much more a case of being able to make meaningful decisions. Right. Um, and that got me to thinking, like, what are the most satisfying endings in an RPG? Like, what are some of our favorite endings and why? And I, I think the first question I want to ask you is, what to you is a satisfying ending? Are, are you happy with bittersweet endings? Do you, do you like the downer endings? Or are you looking for something a little brighter and happier? Uh, when I was younger, I was really into the, the happy endings that like wrapped everything up. Like when I was a kid, I really liked Final Fantasy IV's ending because pretty much what do you expect to happen actually happens. Like they get married, the end. Hey, oh god, here comes the after years. Uh, but as I get older, I find I appreciate um, more bittersweet, more open endings. And even going back to some endings that I just kind of went eh at as a kid, I'm surprised at, at what I see and like. I'm like, wow, they put a lot of thought into this ending, and I didn't appreciate it because I was a shithead. I'm the opposite, actually. Uh-huh. I used to be the person who really enjoyed bittersweet endings uh, and open endings, but now I prefer a uh, somewhat happier resolution because I think that it can often be needlessly cruel uh, to... I, I know these characters aren't real, but right. I like a certain sense of resolution. I, I know that there's no such thing as quote-unquote resolution in real life. Life goes on, right? yeah. yeah. And I do like when stories kind of take that approach that it's like, well, I mean, okay, so the story's over. Um, we have had some resolution, but also like it's not, oh, wedding bells are ringing and flowers are sprouting and everybody's happy. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe at the same time, though, I I look around the world and... I am often very concerned about a lot of things that are happening and uh, the world often seems like kind of an awful place. And so I like stories that make me happy. (laughs) No, that's totally understandable. Um, I I should reiterate and say that I don't like, I don't like cruel open-ended stories. Like I I like a little bit of mystery. I like a little bit of resolution. I like that kind of mix, but um, uh, have you ever read The Handmaid's Tale? Oh, God, no. Okay. I refuse to watch that show because it is so friggin' bleak. It was our grade 12 curriculum, uh, mm. which is a pretty hardcore book. But anyway, it has a very, very open-ended uh, ending, which is almost open-ended to a, to a cruel point. So mm. that I didn't like. I don't like that sort of thing. But um, if you want to give me a little bit of a, a, a kind of an open ending with a, 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 a note of hope, like um, I think Final Fantasy VII's ending is fantastic before they ruined it with everything that came afterwards, Advent Children, etc. You had that open-ended question. Um, okay, is the planet... The planet knows what's good for it. Does that mean that humans survived Lightstream, or did they get obliterated as a threat? And it doesn't make it very clear, but you, after the credits, you do kind of hear, like, children's laughter, which indicates, okay, we survived. And, of course, you see Red 13 and uh, his cubs, and even though everything's overgrown, there is a sense that we as as people are still there, uh, maybe in a diminished sense. I don't know, but we are still there. I want to suggest that the world regenerated after the meteor hit, and ultimately it destroyed Midgar. Midgar is gone. We're no longer harvesting the planet's life energy or whatever. Yeah, but that humans were able to go on. Right. 
I think as long as we're talking about Final Fantasy, I want to kind of talk about an ending that I don't think, weirdly enough, doesn't get brought up very much, though it was pretty pretty famous and well-known, obviously, when the game came up, which was Final Fantasy X, mm-hmm. which actually might be my favorite ending in Final Fantasy, which I, I feel almost bad about spoiling it for you, Go ahead. Nadia. But... <laughs> I'll be spoiling a few endings, I'm sure. <laughs> so the way it works, basically, is... After you go, yeah, you're, you make your, you're on your pilgrimage to Xanarkand, and yeah. the whole idea is that you're going to destroy this thing called Sin. And you have to get to Xanarkand to talk to Unaleska, who imbues uh, the summoner with the power to make the final summon and kill, kill Sin. But in the, in the process, uh, that summoner, I believe, dies. Right. The summoner dies, which, uh, Titus learns about and is very distraught about and there's a whole overwrought ah, I'm so sad <laughs> no what's going no but yeah anyway um, and then you get there and you learn the big twist was well no you don't get there and learn it there eventually it comes to light that somebody has to make it in addition to the summoner being sacrificed somebody has to basically become sin Right. And it comes to light that Titus's father becomes Sin. Okay, I think I remember hearing something about that. Yes, Jekt becomes Sin. Uh, he sacrifices himself. Now he's Sin, which is like a whole tortured metaphor about how Titus has like his father hanging over him and like can't escape his father. And daddy everything. issues. And major daddy issues. <laughs> his dad's kind of a jerk, let's be honest Jekt here, is right? is a total jerk. Uh, although uh, in Dissidia... There's actually a quote that Golbez says to uh, Titus, which is, is his shadow all you see? Which just says it all. Pretty much. But so you get to Unaleska and you find out that Braska killed himself and T- Jekt became Sin and Orin died. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, but you reject, you reject this cycle of death. Mm-hmm. and you ultimately decide to go a different way, and you figure out how to kill Sin without having to resort to this thing, and so you break the, the cycle. And I like I like anything that's about breaking cycles right. that are really bad. <laughs> this is a bad <laughs> cycle. Bad cycle. Uh, no, the final boss battle. Yes, the final boss battles kind of stink because you, you fight Jekt, and that boss battle's good, but it has a terrible terrible final boss music oh is that the one where the screaming guy and the yes the metal oh that's awful i'm, I'm yes. sorry i know they were trying something new but jesus no it was interesting but it didn't work for me exactly and and then you have much better music as you're fighting uh this little thing that uses sin as its armor oh, but cute. also if you fight it as you're fighting it, you always come back to life because mm-hmm. you have life three cast on you. So you can't really die. So it kind of sucks in that regard. <laughs> but eventually you defeat Sin. Sin's dead. Yay, everybody's happy. But for various reasons, Titus is actually a dream or something. Oh, God. And so there's a very sad and heartfelt scene where Yuna and Titus are embracing while Titus disappears. That's kind of sad. And... Yeah, no, it's super sad. Everybody's sad. It's very bittersweet. And, but at the same time, like, it's the promise of rebirth. Right. Um, I like stories 
that carry yeah yeah like it's an uncertain future we have to deal with a lot of different things but we can stride together into a hopeful future yeah there's actually now i think about it final fantasy 8's ending reflects that in a lot of ways too um or at least like uh not so much the rebirth but the the very bittersweet sort of ending where you uh Mm. i always like laguna and even though he's a dork and an idiot he he tries hard and he can never catch a break. He's basically the unlucky, unluckiest RPG protagonist out there. So when he gets that kind of serious moment where it's obvious that he's reunited with Cloud, uh, not Cloud, Jesus, uh, Squall, and they know each other now, and, you know, he's still with his friends, he's still with uh, his adopted daughter, but he visits his wife's grave, and it's just really sad because he never really saw her after he uh, left to go find uh, alone. The weird thing about Final Fantasy VIII is that in Final Fantasy VIII's ending is that it includes a moment where he gets beamed back to his old orphanage and basically starts the cycle Yes, again. Because he, I, I don't know, like, Edia gets infected or something by Ultimecia and she knows that she's going to be a sorceress or something like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember very well. But And of course, Final Fantasy X ultimately got a bit muddled because then they made a sequel. Oh, right. Ten two. <laughs> the first example of a sequel... And it takes place in a world that's a lot happier and everything. And also, uh, Yuna and company have become Charlie's Angels. <laughs> and there's a gal named Payne, and there are new factions. And Yuna's trying to find Titus, who may actually be alive, because at the very the post credit sequence of Final Fantasy X is that you see Titus is, in fact, alive and seemingly reborn. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of Final Fantasy X too, it's like oh, he's alive. Actually, he Yay. didn't. He wasn't actually just a figment of everybody's imagination. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, you gotta love Square Enix for like making you guess for a little while, then just totally going, "Nope, guess what? Nope, <laughs> nope." Tears alive. It's all good. They're they're happy. You don't have to be sad anymore. Yeah. So maybe that really dramatically undercuts uh, the original's ending. Just <laughs> that's the problem. Is that so many great self-contained stories ultimately get sequels? Yeah. Uh, so looking at some other, some pretty other good endings, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics is a famous one. Yeah, uh, we were talking about that earlier. That's, um... I promise this whole conversation won't all be about Final Fantasy. Let's just get the Final Fantasy stuff out of the way. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, we were talking about history, uh, earlier. That, that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, because as, um... As we know, history doesn't wrap things up neatly, and uh, neither mm. does tactics. No. Uh, Delita's basically a villain throughout the entire game, but he's ultimately remembered as a hero, mm. a commoner who becomes king, while the main character, Ramsa, dies in obscurity. <laughs> and the, the, oh. final, the final scene is um, the, uh, the history writer being at a grave and kind of re- reflecting, but then he sees Ramza riding past on a chocobo. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I, I think Ramza gets a, a happy ending here. Uh, but then, of course, uh, the history writer is ultimately burned at the stake by the church. <laughs> <laughs> no, womp, nobody womp. <laughs> Oh, no, no. Ramza got his happy ending. Well, he, I guess riding on a chocobo does count as a happy ending. <laughs> Maybe that's more of a realistic ending, just in the sense of you can't, you're not going to change the world. The world's not going to change. Uh, as the wire would tell you, systems remain in place. You can't get rid of the system's going to kill everything. But you can have individual happy endings. You can try. Perhaps the only way to have a happy ending is to 
retire to a vineyard in the middle of nowhere and make wine and just enjoy yourself and not worry about things too much. Is there an ending like that in any video game? Yeah, Witcher 3. Okay, yeah. Yes. I think Geralt deserves that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Geralt deserves it. Oh, is this a a soft G versus hard G thing, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, it's totally a soft G. Uh, Nadia, why is Secret of Mana such a downer ending? Uh, Well, number one, spoilers. Number two, both Secret of Mana and Adventures of Mana, a.k.a. Final Fantasy Adventures, uh, they both have very similar endings in that... um, Somebody is going to be left behind. Somebody is going to, quote-unquote, die, or at least be transformed to a point where they can't interact with the world as we know it anymore. Uh, Secret of Mana, which is fresher in my mind because I just finished it, um, that has two things happen to you. Number one, you're chasing Dylok across creation, and he, in the very end, he becomes possessed by Thanatos. So to stop Thanatos from... Uh, absorbing ultimate power, because Dialect himself actually has a lot of ultimate power inside of him, Dialect kills himself. And that forces uh, Thanatos to basically re- uh, release himself into his true form, which is vulnerable. Uh, so you kill uh, Thanatos, and then you go up against the Mana Beast, who is uh, trying to destroy the fortress, and that will restore mana. Uh, but if you kill the Mana Beast, which you had no choice, then mana will no longer no longer exist in the world because it can't be restored and if that happens then creatures of mana like the sprite they will disappear so essentially you finish the game and the sprite uh doesn't quite die but he disappears he vanishes from our world and becomes part of his own the world becomes separate so you you basically strike the final blow on the mana beast and the hero and the girl realize oh he's gone and we never got to say goodbye and you see him at the end credits just kind of like looking out over the moon. So it's it's just a really kind of a downer ending. Hmm. Man, I don't know. I don't like dark it. downer endings, man. I just, but I, I hate games that make me feel sad. Uh, Adventures of Mana was the same way where uh, the hero is protecting this girl who it turns out has to become the next Mana tree. And so even though they're in love, it's like, well, you can't be together. Oh, well, well, that sucks. I guess uh, that's that. And yeah. That's basically what the Mana games are all about, apparently. But you do hmm. have, you still do have that cycle of rebirth, although that was more prominent in, the, in Adventures of Mana, not so much in Secret of Mana, because uh, there's no more Mana anymore. Like, the Mana tree is dead. Uh, the Mana beast is dead. Um, go to hell, I guess. What do you think of cliffhangers? Oh, God. Here's the problem with cliffhangers. If you're a Mega Man fan, you know what the problem with cliffhangers is. <laughs> Mega Man is still on the moon, and he ain't coming back. That's Mega Man Legends 2. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of them, unless you can promise me the next game is coming out. And you can't. We'll actually resolve it? Uh, that's I hate cliffhangers, that, that, and then you get the next game. It doesn't resolve anything. It doesn't touch anything. That makes me so mad. That's what happened to Wheel of Time. Oh. There was a, there was a cliffhanger. I mean, no, this, the series ended. Oh, okay. But there was a cliffhanger in one book that didn't get resolved for like three or four books. <laughs> oh, boy. It was insane. Uh, another good example of an unresolved cliffhanger in an RPG, Xenosaga. Oh, Xenosaga right, yes. episode three ends with like Cosmos flying through space <laughs> and like a lot of like things are kind of bad, but it never resolves because Xenosaga is never getting another game. No. Well, she went back to her home planet and needed her. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mass Effect, of course. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda is another game that I think is going to not really... It's going to kind of have an unresolved cliffhanger. Yeah, I'm not even sure how that one ended. Um, you'll forgive me. My my memory is a little hazy on this front. Um, it ends with you ultimately getting a foothold in Andromeda, the Andromeda galaxy and right. everything. Uh, and you defeated an enemy, but it's very open-ended. There are a lot of threads that can be potentially picked up for a sequel. I don't right. think that's ever going to happen. Not for a long time, if ever. I think uh, I think Mass Effect's going to sleep for a little while. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, great games, and we were talking about them a little while ago. Uh, great self-contained trilogy, and maybe maybe that's all we need? At this point, that's where you have to deal with, yeah. As for the actual endings, I thought Mass Effect 1 and 2 had excellent endings for the most part. I've never actually seen them. So Mass Effect 1 has just a great climax, and I, I think a great climax can really tie into a really strong ending, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like I'm undermining my point with Final Fantasy X a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh, well. But basically what happens is you are going after the... uh, It comes to light that there are these things called Reapers. um, And the main guy that you've been chasing the entire game, Saren, is controlled by a Reaper. And uh, Saren's ship is, in fact, the Reaper. And there's a huge space battle around the around the the main station that you've been using, which was built a long time ago. Right. And it comes to light that, in fact, the hyperspace network that you've been using this entire time was a trap. Oh, my God. It was a trap. And what happens is that the Reapers use it to beam into our galaxy and then take take them over, Mm -hmm. cutting off all of the different galactic civilizations. And then they just pick them off piecemeal, one by one, as to, to destroy them. And their whole goal is just to destroy everybody. So I love that aspect of ancient technology that we don't understand being turned against us. Right, right. And so that's a great revelation. And so the you uh, so the final there's a huge space battle as all of the alliance uh, the alliance fleet comes out to attack the Reaper. You're jumping. You you are on the outside of the main space station that you've been on this entire time, fighting enemies as you're bouncing through space, which is just a phenomenal set piece, even for mm-hmm. as janky as Mass Effect was back in 2007. Man, I, if I could remaster any game, it would be that one. Yeah, I would want I would, that I, one remastered. Uh, yeah. Just listening to you talk about it, I'm like, oh man, this is Star Control. <laughs> yeah. So you're bouncing on the outside of it. You get back into the station and you find Ceres. I, I think his name's Saris. Saren? Oh, God, I don't remember. I don't know the main villain's name. You find the main villain's name, uh, my main villain, <laughs> and you can you can do a little bit of a fallout in that you can actually get him to shoot himself in the head and badly damage himself <laughs> if you convince him, but mostly you're going to have to fight him. Right. And also while this is happening, uh, the Alliance fleet gets into trouble and you can either save them, and you could save the Alliance console and things continue as normal, or you can let the humans come in, or, or you can let them die, and the humans ultimately take them out and ultimately take over the Federation. Awesome. Yeah, so you can be evil and let humans step in. And I, I did that. I let the latter one happen. 
How badly did we screw it up? How fast? Um, I don't remember, actually, because I don't remember humans controlling the Federation to be a, a huge plot threat in Mass Effect 2, because oh. in Mass Effect 2, you go over to a renegade organization called Cerberus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And then I picked up Mass Effect 3, and all the humans die, because Earth immediately gets attacked, like, right at the beginning. Oh, whoops. That sucked. Mass Effect 2, meanwhile, has a suicide mission, which is just probably the best, one yeah. of the best conclusions I've ever played. Yeah, the actual fight against um, the fi- the Terminator boss battle, Terminator baby, <laughs> is kind of lame. <laughs> the revelation is pretty neat. And the just extreme tension of, like, losing a crew member. You don't want to lose a crew member. Right. So, I going in without any spoilers is so exciting mm-hmm. and terrifying. The game drops a lot of hints for you. Hey, you might want to upgrade your ship all the way. You might want to make sure that you got everybody's loyalty by doing their loyalty missions. Hint, hint. hint. And if you use... If you exercise common sense and, and send the people who are like, oh, well, okay, probably you want somebody who's a good fighter to do this, right. to lead this team, or uh, I probably want somebody who is good at tech right. to be going through the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Jeffrey's tubes to handle things over here, uh, you'll be fine. <laughs> I didn't lose anybody uh, on my first try. But what's even more fun... <laughs> is to let everybody die. Oh, no. And then let Shepard die. Oh, dear. Does everyone become uh, martyrs? Uh, well, the game... Well, the game just ends. <laughs> you know, it's over. And there's an ending, and they're like, I think Joker's real sad. Joker's the pilot of your ship. Joker's very sad, and it, like, moves on. But when Mass Effect 3 picks up, it's like, well, I mean, yes, yes, your story ended with Mass Effect 2, but that was the end of that. So here's what would have happened if Shepard had lived. Yeah, uh, there's actually, we should actually give a shout out to games that have those you failed endings. Uh, they're actually quite <laughs> common in RPGs. You ever see the one from Chrono Trigger? I don't know if you saw uh, that. No. Or... You didn't see it? No. Uh, if you die, uh, you see Lavos basically. Uh, oh, uh, right. You might have and to the... be up against Lavos when it happens, but yeah, the world. The it, refu- was... it refused to change. Yeah, the future refused to change. Yes. Uh, that and Breath of Fire, too, had a pretty grim one. Um, you find out, basically, the dragon, this giant dragon who's been living in your hometown the whole time is your mother, Ryu's mother. And she's been blocking, physically, this gate that this demon is behind. And uh, she gives you a choice and says, uh, do you want to go down and confront the demon, which is a pain in the ass, or do you want to have me block the gate for as long as possible? Uh, and if you choose, oh, yeah, let's block the gate. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, basically, the world ends because the demon is like, just walks on. Doesn't care. How's it going, guys? Valkyrie profile. If you manage to piss off Odin enough, which is possible, because like you send the wrong people who die, you keep everything, all the treasures for yourself, etc. Eventually, they will go well. Uh, yeah, so we don't know what's wrong with you, but you die now. (laughs) They say something to the effect of a machine that goes off on its own and can't be controlled is of no use to us. And then the thing is, is that it was always, 
I could never get that ending. I tried. I tried and I tried. I tried everything possible to get Odin mad enough at me to kill me, but I couldn't do it for some reason. I guess you have to be like a real jerk to do that. Like, I'm always paranoid about being too much of a jerk when I play RPGs, but to actually like physically do it that mm. much, that's it's kind of like the genocide ending in, uh, in Undertale. I can never bring myself to get that one. You know, when it comes to Suikoden 2, so I, I think... I think the endings in that game are pretty good. Yeah. And, but weirdly enough, I think the best ending is the normal ending. The best of them. Cause the one that's extremely bittersweet where mm-hmm. the group, like, all kind of go their separate ways and everything. Just because that strikes me as more realistic than the, the happy ending where everybody okay, uh, ends yeah. up together and kind of go off on their own. Yeah, I actually don't like the happy ending for that game because... I feel like, number one, it's way too shonen for a, a, a RPG that's as realistic and political as it is. Mm. And I really don't like the way Joey just kind of turns his back on Julia, who um, some fans speculate that she was actually pregnant at the time, which just makes it worse for me. Whoa. And he actually uh, turns his back on, what's her name, too? The little girl. Like, to be with his friends? Like, that's just so... It's not very childish about that. And that's a character who went through a lot of hardcore development. So just to see that mm. really irritated me. Could you lay out what happens in the Suikoden 2 ending for people who aren't familiar with it? Um, you know what? I never got it myself personally because I always <laughs> screwed up that one vital thing. But I've seen it like online and stuff like that. So uh, basically, it turns out... Uh, what's the name of the girl? Nanaki? Uh I'm just blanking on her. Yeah, I'm totally blanking on her name too. <laughs> well, she dies at some point in the game. And um, if you get the good ending, it turns out, oh, she was just pretending the whole time. And oh, surprise, look, here's Joey. We're friends again. And Joey has like, if you're following the plot, has just like, he's stabbed you in the back. He's, he's been, he's really hurt you. He's, he's not a good person, but he has his own reasons for doing things. So to just kind of like say, hey, we're friends again. Let's all be friends like we were, you know, in the olden days. And that's the thing about Suikoden 2 is that it's supposed to be a game about not going back to that youthful, innocent time. You can't. It starts off with a bunch of children getting massacred. Indeed, that's true. Uh, yeah, so in that respect, I kind of like the 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 ending where it's an ending, but it's also kind of a bittersweet ending. Yeah. And here I've been saying this entire time that I I don't like it. I, I like endings that make me feel good and happy. I don't know. But we were just. I, I like just ending. Saying. I like life affirming endings. I suppose. Yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, but I. Like I said, I don't think that that good quote-unquote ending is a life-affirming one. I just think it's silly. I, I'm not a fan. Or I should say, I like life-affirming endings that feel earned. Okay, yes, there you go. And that's, that's another thing about that good ending is it's very... It's hard to earn because... God, isn't there like one some, one vital, stupid little thing you have to do at at some point in the game? And you have like a split second to do it, and that determines if you get the ending or not. And you might also need all 108 stars. I can't remember. Yeah, I think so. Uh, here's an ending that's kind of a downer ending. Mm-hmm. Um, Planescape Torment, you basically go to hell. <laughs> oh dear. Do you, I guess you don't yeah. earn that ticket to hell. You just, th- just go there. Yeah, because the whole point of the game is that you have been, re- uh, you have, you are the nameless one and you have been reviving over and over again throughout a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But in Planescape Torment, you're being chased by something called the Transcendent One. And that is your mortality. Oh, dear. They have split from you. And 
eventually, if you can get the good ending, which takes a lot of work, uh, the quote-unquote good ending, uh, you eventually are able to convince the transcendent one to merge back with you. Uh, right. So you either defeat it or you merge it back with you and you're capable of dying. And in, in merging back with you, every, all of your past selves like come back to life. Right. So they have a ha- kind of a happy ending and everything, except you go to hell. <laughs> you're, you Jeez. have to fight the bloody wars for eternity. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Like, I-, I guess that's their version of hell, where you have to fight the war for eternity. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. That's... So you, you die, you got to fight the, uh, the the wars for eternity. That's mean. Yeah, it's kind of dark, <laughs> isn't it? Neat ending. The heroic sac- I guess you could call that a heroic sacrifice ending. Sure, but going to hell for eternity, that's, a, that's one consequence. Fallout also has a dark ending. Yeah, it does. Are you familiar with it? Uh, you, were, you were just kind of referencing it a little while ago. with the, you Fallout the, 1. Fallout 1, where you convinced the vault, uh, head of the vault to uh, shoot himself, I believe. Oh yeah, that's that's one of them. Oh okay. I mean, that's like that that can be the climax, but after you it's not that you convince the vault the head of the vault to kill themselves. Uh you ha- convince I believe the head of the super mutants to kill themselves. And I think that was oh, Fallout okay. Fallout 2, I want to say. Say so I played 1 or 2. In Fallout 1 when you save the world from an army of super mutants, you return to your vault uh only to have the overseer turn you out mm. because they're afraid of you right so uh the final shot is of the main character wandering the wastes gone and it's sad it is very sad yeah no, you aren't accepted by your own people and here's the kicker if you have like the bloody disgusting perk or something to that effect uh the parting your character's parting shot will be to shoot the overseer in the head <laughs> and then leave <laughs> nice so that's a fun one. Yeah. Fallout 2 ends with... Uh, in Fallout 2, uh, there's a new society um, that you can either save. Mm-hmm. There, there are a variety of ways that can it can end. Um, it can end up in a war with another uh, group. Right. Uh, or it can end up making peace with them. And that's maybe the happiest of the endings. Uh, but so much of Fallout is just about <laughs> understanding that... The wasteland is always going to be the wasteland. It's just trying to find your peace with it. Yeah, pretty much. That's one thing about Fallout. Even if you finish it, uh, everything's still uh, covered in radioactive waste. So do your best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of curious, Nadia. What is your favorite ending in an RPG? Oh, it's very hard for me to pick because, um, again, sometimes I'm in the mood for like a happy ending. Sometimes I'm in the mood for a bittersweet one. I always had a soft spot for Final Fantasy VI's ending just because... Uh, even if it's, I don't find it completely satisfying on a story level, I find this presentation is, is pretty much top-notch. Uh, the fact that there is a like a 25-minute song at the end on the SNES that doesn't loop, that's pretty incredible. It's very cinematic. Um, and it does have its, like, it, its, its story moments. Like, it, it definitely has that message of like restoration and rebirth. Uh, it actually literally ends with uh, a new kid being born. Uh, and Tara finding her spot in in the world, uh, and everyone kind of flies off. So you get the the impression that well, they're all together. They'll they'll figure things out themselves. It's it's a it's a happy enough ending, I suppose. It just kind of <laughs> ties it ties well together. Uh, I think that uh, first I want to give a shout out to Earthbound 
Uh, I like the ending, simplicity yeah. of the ending. Just in, you have uh, two people walking home. Yeah, that is a very that's a very cute, very satisfying, heartfelt ending. That's what I'm looking for. It's a very heartfelt ending. I think Jeff literally tells you to just take to see her home, see Paula home. It's very cute. Indeed. Uh, and I think my favorite ending personally is Valkyrie profile. Um, and I feel like I've talked about it. I, I just like how earned it feels mm-hmm. because I mean, it's the real ending. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> and in that sense, it's kind of the only ending where you're going to get any resolution whatsoever, which can be kind of annoying to be honest, but I like that. Essentially it's Ragnarok and right. you're fighting through Ragnarok it has some of the best boss battles in the game uh, take place during Ragnarok when Loki goes crazy and uh, sets everything mm-hmm. off. Uh, I like that you reunite with all of your party members that you've sent up to heaven That's and nice, have yeah. them in your party as you're uh, fighting through. And then um, I like that it ends with uh, the Valkyrie restoring the world right. and basically becoming God. Yeah. And uh, you want to talk about like cycle of rebirth um, that is a great example of rebirth right, and right. a very kind of a hopeful future and everything. Uh, weirdly enough, Val- Valkyrie Profile 2 takes that ending. And <laughs> so one of the main characters is Lazard Veleth, who's this, he's basically a creeper. He's, he's edgy. <laughs> and he, uh, in the game valkyrie profile 2 takes place well like hundreds of years before valkyrie profile because in valkyrie profile there's a moment where you go back in time Mm -hmm. and you see some things well you go back in valkyrie profile 2 takes place entirely during that time right and it resolves a lot of threads from the original valkyrie profile and then i believe it comes to light that lazard valeth is i think time traveling (laughs) (laughs) like he does because he's in your party in somaria and you're like that's weird that he's in your party uh, but he, yeah, he, I believe it's time traveling or something, but it, it's all a ruse so that he can eventually capture Leneth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's able to capture Leneth and imprison her. And you have to merge with Silmaria, the Valkyrie who's inside you to become the Valkyrie again and defeat him. I believe that's how it all goes. And okay. also Arngrim is in there somewhere. I, I think I prefer the just the regular ending of Valkyrie Profile. Do you? I don't think that every thread has to be resolved. Do you? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I think it all it all depends on the game itself. But no, I'm if you if they leave some threads open, I, I'm usually okay with that as long as it's nothing like, oh my god, what 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 happened? What what happened? You got to tell me. But no, it's sometimes you just got to be mature about and let the writers have their own way with things. Yeah, open to interpretation to circle back to the beginning of this discussion, I think can be pretty good. Yeah. I I really like, uh, I think that a game, a, particularly a game, can get in trouble when it tries to answer every single question. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I just did a ranking of all of the Metal Gear Solid games, which you should go check out. I think that it was a pretty good uh, list myself. And I talked at some length about how Metal Gear Solid 4 got into trouble for trying to do just that, answering all of the mysteries. Sometimes it's better not to answer the mysteries. Yes, as a, as a, as a fan of Five Nights at Freddy's, I can confirm that is, the, that is the case, because that is a game with many mysteries, and some of the answers are, well, they've kind of cleaned things up nicely, but some of the answers are just off the wall. What's your favorite RPG ending? I kind of want to know. 
uh, drop a line in the comments or send us an email at usgamer at usgamer.net. All right, Nadia, let's do a quick Cosmic Star Heroine report, which is more of a Cosmic Star Heroine check-in, yeah. uh, because I don't think we've played particularly a lot, but we've managed to get a bit further. And so I've got a new party member, Nadia. Yay, new friend. Yeah, it's a termite or something. Oh, I have him too. That's a uh, Saib, I think his name is, or Saibi. Sibe? Sure Do you say eBay? Uh, Viba? Okay, so um, <laughs> uh, my partner used to work for somebody named uh viba mm-hmm. who uh, uh is dutch and uh, he spelled his name roughly like saib or so i'm just going with siba or something like that okay i can buy it uh, yeah so siba or viba or whatever his name is um is a bug who yep. uses songs um yep. and is a support monster and uh well, what do you think of uh siba viba saib <laughs> Uh, I am all for support monsters, um, especially like bugs, because uh, in most, let's say, say most sci-fi uh, RPG uh, settings, the bugs are usually dull, hive mind, usually very mean towards humans. Uh, but this this dude's a good chap. He's he's very polite. He's good kind. Chap. He's a good chap. He's a good bug. I like him. He he's smart. He's kind. He's uh not exactly like the most brilliant personality in the room, but he's got some really great attacks like he's got um as you mentioned the songs uh like the pain song and the rebirth rebirth song which belong to uh lauren except his are far more powerful Hmm. you think so i think so when i was like because i was using lauren straight up until i started i switched him out for the bug and uh yeah i noticed that uh Sybe's, uh pain song does a lot more damage than uh, lauren's whenever i see pain song i think of um Animaniacs, where they did a random Beatles episode. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, Yoko Ono saying, "I will sing my love song," and then it's uh, lots of uh, lots and lots of screeching. <laughs> so I right. imagine that that's what the pain song is for us, uh, Sibe and Lauren and all that. Um, but so yeah, I incorporated him into my party in the place of um, Chan, just because. I thought that he filled a, a an interesting gap, and mm-hmm. while Chan, I think, can is much more uh, much more powerful when it comes to support. I really like a Cbay's like damage potential because yeah. between him and Arit, uh, they do a lot of damage over time, yeah, and yeah, yeah. so. I've been just freaking tearing through enemies. It's been ridiculous. Yeah, fights are definitely going a little bit faster now. I still use Chan because I use her as I still use her as an attacker with her flame torch and with uh, focus, which attacks everyone. Uh, I find that just a really good combo. And then I use Echo, which fires the flame torch again. And if you have an enemy that's weak to fire, that's pretty much the end for them. Yeah, I'm doing like thousands of points of damage right now, mm-hmm. which is good because there's a boss at the end of the mines because you have to take Seabase, I, whatever, into a mine area. It's actually not a bad dungeon because you have to manipulate these mine carts to get through. I mean, yeah, I'm doing that so right now. a lot of it is kind of finding your way to a switch and then moving the mine cart up and then continuing onward, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that's just a tiny 
nitpick about cosmic star heroine it's not always easy to see what the door where the doors are if they're on the bottom of the screen i agree i actually got stuck uh in the bug town because they're talking to me about a terminal and i'm like oh this terminal over here right nope not that terminal the one that's like right beside a character and looks like it's part of the background that terminal uh but the 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 mines uh yeah in the mines there are a lot of doors that are very hidden and so you have to kind of feel your way around and it's a lot of traversal stuff but the boss at the end of it is this giant specter thing which has like twenty thousand hit points and is actually fairly difficult you better have your party settled for this boss because he get he is one of those bosses that becomes more powerful as the battle wears on right and can start one-shotting your characters really quickly right it's got a lot of style (laughs) <laughs> well, what happens is initially uh, not doing too much damage, but he has a, an attack that will both stun and make your character vulnerable. Oh. And not only and they will stay vulnerable until they actually get hit again. And if they get hit uh, while vulnerable, they will take a lot of damage, yeah. like hundreds of points of damage. And uh, the first time, and sometimes you can just bring them back immediately. You can bring them back from the verge of death by healing because they're in negative point territory. Right. But other times, um, other times you're just not going to be able. They'll just get one shot and they're dead. Right. And you're kind of, and it's not. You're not easily able to revive characters, so no. you really just have to push forward and wipe out um wipe it out as fast as humanly possible and i was able to do that with seabay saib weebay uh by (laughs) by using like i was doing a ton of damage over time Mm -hmm. i was hitting with like some really powerful burst attacks from sue because i had this whole thing where uh i can get sues uh into hyper mode and then use this one attack that lowers defense but does just absurd amounts of damage Yes. Bum rush with style at maximum plus boosted attack will do several thousand points worth of yeah. damage. And so you're you're good there. And then also uh, the extra style attacks, uh, the, the unity attacks do a lot of damage. And right. then, but even still, I actually did get killed the first time I tried to take it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for the warning. So. Yeah, so be careful with that. You want to take it out as fast as possible. I was actually thinking, like, man, I wonder if Chan would actually be a better fit than Sibei, Saib. But I think that character is actually locked in, so you can't swap it out. Well, you need I to keep actually, your termite. I did swap him out, but uh, okay. he might need to... He, it's probably one of those situations where you get to a certain point and you have to use him. So I can imagine having to use him against the boss. I haven't gotten there yet, though. Well, the flip side is that it might actually be better to just hit it as humanly as hard as humanly possible mm-hmm. uh, and not worry too much about trying to heal or revive people because if you try to revive people, they'll just kill somebody else really fast. Yeah, so, that's one man but, and one nasty ghost. There are times where when you're fighting a boss, it's not worth reviving characters because they are killing you so fast that you will just get stuck into a, a position where you're not doing enough damage. You're just spending all of your time trying to heal. Yeah, yeah. And just getting worn down steadily. And that's the case with this one. But I was able to kill it. I was able to kill it Yay. on my second try without uh, without ghost. losing anybody at that. Oh, so so yeah, once, you good. Ha- once you have go it me. down, 
that's good. The problem was that the first time it killed a reed, and I lost her damage over time, and that was bad. Yeah, that would be bad. Because she does a lot of damage by herself. And also she boosts the party with like attacks uh, with um, attack boats and everything. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I finally left the Firefly slash Bug Planet. Oh, good. So you're you're off on your way somewhere else now. Yes. Um. So I now have the technology to block out the technology that takes control of everybody's minds. Right. So when you meet Saibe, Saibe Siwebe throws you into another dimension and says, uh where your mind is basically being controlled and you have to fight an you have to fight a boss in that universe uh-huh. and then it's revealed that it's like oh yeah i basically took control of you briefly uh and gave you a taste of the power of this technology now we have to stop it oh, that's not nice yeah I uh, it a nice like bug. A, so you have to go and get the the crystals to go fix that right and yeah and once you do that uh but once you do that you're good but now i i don't know why i have to go to another planet a lawyer planet maybe (laughs) the planet of lawyers so i went there and i met a new character uh their name is orson bulabar uh so what happens and right from the start is you go and you meet the mayor and the mayor likes you but then the mayor gets poisoned and dies oh dear and you are immediately accused of it and lock um and you have to find a lawyer to represent you, and Orson is the only one who's going to represent you. <laughs> the blob, great. Yes, like a the purple blob. Drawing. It's like a purple blob, kind of like an eggplant, almost. Does it eggplant least, blob. Does it at least carry a briefcase and have a hat? It has a gun. Okay, that's that's a thing. The gun will, like, the first time you see it, it's sitting behind a desk, and it raises its hand and then a gun appears in it for no really good reason aside from the fact that it's kind of cool maybe rule they just instead of lawyer badges that's what they have rule guns. of cool as uh as they say in tv tropes <laughs> that's it all right yes so uh orson is interesting because orson is extremely good against spirits mm. and can turn characters into spirits oh cool and do extra damage to them. Also, very strong elemental attacks if you just want to hit really hard. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I think that Orson can be a solid replacement for... Just can basically be your your heavy DPS damage dealer in your party. But um, I am in the process at this moment of walking around trying to gather evidence that supports my case. Oh, boy. That sounds yes. very Phoenix Wright-ish. It brought me back to thinking about uh, court cases in other RPGs. Um, obviously, a really good example is Chrono Trigger. Right, which literally took it from the wall. I like that one, though, because you uh, it, it's a very funny scene. It is. It's pretty great. I was, where It's basically a kangaroo court where you're going to get convicted no matter what. Yeah, I was shocked, actually, when uh, they your behavior at the fair was used against you uh, in that yeah. court case. Yeah, that's pretty funny, isn't it? it that, that was a, that was like, oh my god, they turned the tables on me. How did they do this? No, I wasn't pulling her to kidnap her. I was pulling her because she was taking her time. In Disgaea too, they will actually use your playtime against you. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, you can end up in a court case in Disgaea too, where the, if you play, I think if you played more than 100 hours, they'll use that as uh, evidence against you. <laughs> what do they say? You're twisted and have no life? Not worth Basically, saving? Basically, you spend too much time playing video games. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, that's some psycho mantis shit right there. Yeah, right? Um, and then, but probably one of the better examples of a court case in an RPG, and I've been talking about Mass Effect all day, it seems like, but in Mass Effect 2, uh, you are find, you find out that Tally has to return to her flotilla. Tally is... I don't know, she, she looks like, she's wearing an environmental suit, and you don't know what she looks like from most of the, most of the time. You're like, what the heck does Tally look like? Is she cute? She has a nice <laughs> body. Um, you, you, have a, you have to go back and defend the honor of your father because you're going to be expelled mm-hmm. from the fleet. It's very Star Trek, actually. In Star Trek The Next Generation, Worf has to go back to because his father's been accused of horrible crimes. Of course. Well, it turns out the father actually did commit horrible crimes. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> oh, dear. And if you bring that to light and bring that evidence to light, uh, the father will be posthumously exiled from the fleet, and Tally will hate you. Ah. Uh. And you will lose her loyalty, and there's a decent chance she will die. Oh, no. What is, so what does she look like? I don't actually know. I, I never did see behind the mask. I, I think that they eventually reveal that. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. But uh, yeah, that that's a mystery. Even if you date Tally in Mass <laughs> Effect, uh, there's a sex scene where the mask is like cast aside. Okay, so it's not like the Tuscan Raiders at least. And you only see the mask. You don't really see her. Right. That's still kind of weird. But there are a lot of ways that the actual court case can unfold. And uh, it can end with you getting Tally exonerated if you can gather like all of the right evidence and talk to the right people and then have the right traits. Right. Uh, like charming and that kind of thing. Uh, or it could end with her being exiled, but she she's still loyal to you. So right. it's kind of a bittersweet ending. Or like I said, it can end with you revealing what her father did and just blowing up the entirety. Like, <laughs> wow. it's like creating sectarian violence oh. and getting Tally uh, and Tally's real mad at you and the whole nine yards. Maybe you don't want to do that one. No. But there's a lot of different paths uh, toward resolving this quest. And it's actually a really good one, I think. Uh, some of the, lo- a lot of the loyalty quests in Mass Effect 2 are really good. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what Cosmic Star Heroine does with its core case. But I've got this planet and another planet besides. So it we might not be that close to being done. No, I think we're not. Uh, it averages, I think, maybe 20 hours. Somewhere between 10 and 20. I've been really, we're in chapter 10 now. Right. I've been really distracted by other games, but I think this is where I, I think we really need to knuckle down and just like play through a whole bunch of this game so that we can freaking get it done. So we're not playing it forever. (laughs) And we could get another report going. Yeah. Not that I don't, not that I don't like Cosmic Star Heroine, but geez, we were supposed to do this because it was fast. Okay. More fool us. All right. That's the end of this week's Cosmic Star Heroine. Unless you have anything you want to add, Nadia. Uh, I think bugs are cool. (laughs) Good ending. (laughs) Okay, Nadia, as usual, we uh, did the messages from the people who listened to this podcast. Um, There was plenty of discussion about which uh, version of Secret of Mana to play. play. Um, Oh, yeah, let's see. One of the, so as you know, this podcast went up on Monday, uh, last Monday, and uh, somebody was saying that they really like this time slot and we should keep it, and I I, I think we will. Um, 
You should play Legend of Mana instead, since drinking with skeleton. Um, I play Legend of Mana, not a fan. Uh, Dave Del Rimple 11 says, The first time I stepped into the woods outside the witch's castle in the remake, I was absolutely slaughtered by those Chobin hoods. They are nasty. Yeah, they're, they're relentless. Skyward Shadow says, I just caught up, got caught up on the backlog. And they really enjoy hearing the FF9 report and now the Cosmic Star Heroin report. Aww. I bought CSH on release, but my expectations were too high. I was expecting the next Suikoden 2. Cat, uh, over the last months, you've mentioned how much you enjoy creating and tweaking parties of characters. I wonder if you'd enjoy Ogre Battle uh, March of the Black Queen, as I feel that's a core component of the game. It's a Matsuno game to boot. Uh-huh. Yeah, Ogre Battle March of the Black Queen is good, but I prefer the original Tactics Ogre myself. Gamer Law says, you know that you're in for a great episode of the pod when Cat starts with a discussion of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I love- <laughs> yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> if they recall correctly, Nadia was among the first to express reservations about the remake when it was announced. I find myself somewhat surprised that she warmed to it as much as she has. Yeah, uh, what can I say? It takes, it, it, it's just a weird little remake, like, uh, especially the soundtrack. I kind of sit there like saying, I hate this, but I love this. What is wrong? What is going on here? So, yeah. Uh, Secret of Mana. Gamer Law hated it. A-plus. Gamer Law hated it. What's that? Oh, yeah. Some people hate it. Like, Parrish hated it. Uh, Schreier hated it, but he didn't finish it. Like, he played like two hours of it. And you kind of give, <laughs> give a little more chance than that. But, uh, uh, like I said, you, you kind of have to separate yourself from your memories a little bit to really appreciate it. So I did that. To well, kind they of pointed out chance. repeated in-game car crashes, subpar voice acting, issues with the AI that become especially pronounced in combat. All of these lead me to the same conclusion that Cat arrived at: play the original on the SNES Classic. Yes. Honestly, the AI is not as bad. You don't as think so? The original game, uh, not at all. No, I don't know where that comes from. I found it a lot less frustrating in the original games. Voice acting, I didn't use the voice acting. I used the Japanese voice acting, which was fine. Yes, there was a lot of crashing. That is inexcusable. Um, the this only saving grace for that is that it auto saves a lot. But if it didn't, I'd be in a lot of trouble because yeah, it crashed, especially towards the end of the game. Just boom, boom. And boom, Funktron boom, boom. says, "I'm not as far into Cosmic Star Heroin as you all, but I did the battle system. Dig the battle system so far. I appreciate how different the abilities of each characters are and the complicated ways multiple characters can interact. Its system emphasizes each battle, which makes them more interesting, but." makes them longer and removes the lizard blame pressure of just hitting attack and slaughtering everything. Another minus you seem to have hit is that once you find a strategy that works everywhere, repeating it mindlessly isn't that fun. Chrono Trigger, on the other hand, is a more traditional model where your characters get progressively worn down between battles and managing your MP and resources add to the tension. As I think Nadia pointed out, you have ultra-powerful moves you can pull up for bosses, and the regular battles are interesting enough to be fun without being individually challenging. I think the lack of random battles let the characters pace things perfectly. Another good battle system is Paper Mario's. The special timing to make strong attacks and blocks keep yes. each other battle engaging and choosing accessory makes for interesting trade-offs. I'm actually hoping for... The only reason I really want a GameCube emulator on Switch is because I want yes. Paper Mario. That would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? And then we could actually play it. That'd be a good report, wouldn't it? That'd be a good report. But yeah. we will have to decide yeah, on that for game. now. Axe of Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever podcasts are sold. Follow us on all of the social medias. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at, at Nadia Oxford. And also, uh, we can follow US Gamer and all of the different things. We stream every Tuesday and Thursday. 
Mike is usually the one streaming. Sometimes we play PUBG and it's a lot of fun, but we also play new games too. We play Metal Gear Survive. A lot of people popped in because they're curious about that game. Spoiler alert, I don't think it's that good. Mike, <laughs> Mike seems ambivalent it. about it. He's like, it's not so bad. I may have been thinking of Bob Mac. He seems to like it a lot. He, Yeah, apparently he loves it. Apparently uh, he says it's like Dragon Quest Builders, only maybe okay. better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I respect Bob's opinion on games a lot, so maybe there is uh, some merit yeah. to it. But I, I've seen... A lot of back and forth on this one seems pretty divisive. Frankly, I don't yeah. think it should exist, but that's me. I, if you're going to make a Metal Gear game, just make another goddamn Metal Gear game, and we can just accept that it's apocryphal or whatever. But uh, yeah, and by the way, go read my rankings of metal, the best Metal Gear games, because uh, I put a lot of work into it. I was literally up until three in the morning writing it. She did. She worked very hard on it. Yeah, because I had to go to an oh, event Jesus. the next day, and it needed to go up, but I digress. Uh, Nadia, you're on another podcast. It's called the U.S. Gamer Podcast. It's our flagship podcast. What did you all talk about? Uh, We talked a lot about the Sonic movie that's coming out in 2019. We we speculated. uh, We went to some horrible territory. You Uh, can't talk about Sonic without going into some horrible territory. Yeah, it's impossible. I tried. All right. Uh, We'll be back next week, as usual. I'm going to make Nadia play some Radiant uh, Historia, and we're going to play a little bit of that Final Fantasy 15 mobile game. And we'll have lots of thoughts on that. And as usual, we will be back with all of the RPG discussion. But until then, I've been Kat Bailey. And for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. And until then, happy adventuring. 